0: Good morning. Oh, wow. Good to see you all. Um, again, if you're uh, a guest with us, a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Kondo Sinfukwe. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point, And we're so thrilled that you chose to spend some of your uh, morning with us. Uh, listen, before uh, we get into what we really uh, want to talk about this morning, I just want to uh, give you a heads up. At the end of this service... Uh, we are going to carve out some time to give many of you the opportunity to take the next step towards being part of community here at Mission Point. September is Connection Month, and uh, during this month, we really want to take uh, the opportunity uh, to help you find ways to take a step to become connected To do more than just attend uh, morning services, but to figure out what it looks like to journey in connection and community with other people in the church. Because the reality is Jesus Christ designed us to thrive and journey together. If we are going to soar and if we are going to become everything he's called us to be and if we're going to effectively reach the city and the world around us, if we are going to cross the finish line with faithfulness in hand, Jesus says you will need other people to be a part of your journey that way. And so because we buy into that so much, we want to carve out time in the service um, to give you an opportunity to take your next step, which means miracle of all miracles. I'm going to even finish a little bit early just so you can do (laughs) that. Oh my goodness. I should have just opened with that and just, uh, man, that's so cruel, so mean. But it's still true nonetheless, but for this morning, we are starting uh, a journey, a study um, through the book of Ephesians. And we'll get to that in a second, but before we do, I feel like I've got all of you here, so I might as well uh, do a little group therapy for my benefit and, and um, gain a few pity points. But last Sunday, I had what for me was an uncharacteristically difficult difficult day. These rarely happen. I mean, so rarely that when it happens, I remember it, it stands out so much to me. A day in which I felt just discouraged and, and weighed down. Um, felt like things weren't going well. Um, and then to add to that, the worst of all things happened. Um, a, a family member told me uh, that they had seen a letter in which, man, bad news came through. And so they let me know, Condo. I'm sorry to tell you, but your grandmother, who's my only living grandparent, passed away. Man, so I heard that and I could feel my shoulders like they just weighed um, a ton all of a sudden. My outlook on life felt a little bit more bleak. Things in the world just looked a little darker, um, if I'm honest with you. Things that would typically make me smile just weren't amusing. My appetite vanished. And if you know me, that will tell you everything that you possibly need to know about the kind of day I was having last Sunday. But um, just to update you, I mean, uh, by the End of the day, by the evening, I was laughing up a storm. I was ready to take the world by the horns. I was amused. I liked people. Um, Again, um, all of a sudden, I ended up having an awesome, awesome day. You want to know why? Because God gave you this supernatural peace. No, that's not why. It's because... um, that relative came back to me and said to me, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I misread the letter. It actually said your grandmother passed by, not passed away. I don't know if you knew, but that's a very different thing. <laughs> and um, I'll tell you what. somebody, Nana, she was gone for a little while, but she's, she's fine. And I'll tell you what, though. Um... All of a sudden, the world was bright again. I liked people again. So I'm just saying, public service announcements, read your letters really carefully. Because, listen, what you believe to be true has the potential to cloud and color your day and set the trajectory for your life in so many ways. And so, um, we're starting a journey through The New Testament book of Ephesians, one of the most significant theological pieces of literature ever composed. In fact, for years, theologians have almost been in this contest to see who can out-describe the magnificence of this book. Um, And so, you know, one theologian said about the book of Ephesians, it's the crown and climax of Paul's theology, uh, another theologian came along like, Mm-mm, that's not good enough. It's the sublimest communication ever made to man. Another one came and said, no, I don't think so. It's the most divine communication man has ever received. Now listen, I don't know about sublime and divine or any of that. All I know is this is my absolute favorite book in the Bible. And I cannot wait to spend some time with all of you mining some of its glorious treasures over the next number of weeks. It's pretty incredible. And at the core of this book... It's a carefully and correctly written letter to tell believers what is true about them because they've believed in Jesus Christ. Because Paul knows what you believe to be true has the power to cloud and color your world. And it has the power to set the trajectory for the rest of your life. The truth is, we are where we are doing what we are doing because of what we believe to be true about us. And so, in this beautiful book, Paul knows... That what we believe will affect everything. And so, uh, we look forward to spending some time exploring what Paul wants the church to become convinced is most true about us. But for this morning, we're just going to spend some time in the introduction of the book. Kind of getting acquainted um, with this letter. And I believe that even as we do so. Um, we are going to start to run into some of the beautiful truths. And I am confident that even this morning, in this introduction, our worlds are going to start being colored a little more brightly because of what we discover to be true about us by virtue of Jesus Christ. So if you have a copy um, of the Bible, please um, grab that. We are going to just spend some time in a couple um, of verses here in Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a copy um, of the scriptures, we're going to have them up on the screens. And listen, as we venture into this series together, I'd encourage you to take notes. And if you're not a note taker, like we like to say around here, then uh, take take notes. Um, but for this morning, uh, we are going to just delve into the introduction of this book. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And here's what it says. Paul... An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So uh, this letter opens following the typical format of letters in that day. Uh, And simply put, the way they wrote letters back in that day was not the way we would write a letter today. It was actually more the way we would have a phone conversation if we were talking to somebody. And so if I called you, one of the first things I would do is identify myself so you have some sense of who's on the other end of the line. And frankly, the less we know each other, the more I will fill in information about myself so that you can settle in and have a sense of who I am before I start blabbing about whatever it is I called to talk about. Otherwise, it just gets awkward for both Parties, And that's exactly what Paul does in the first part of verse 1. He's saying, hello. Hey, uh, so this is Paul. Uh, Paul who? Which is why he adds the description of who it is that he is. Because um, history tells us that Paul spent... Uh, About two or three years in in this Roman um, region... This, this Roman province called Ephesus. But that was about seven years prior to penning this letter uh, to this group of believers. So Paul, even though he had spent some time there, is not assuming that he is Norm from tears when he writes to them. That everybody knows who he is. He's assuming that the people he knew seven years ago may not be there and that different people have come in. And so he starts from scratch giving a little bit of an introduction of himself, which is what this um, first part of the verse is. And he says, oh, yeah, well, Paul, um, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, trust me, when they would have heard on the phone, or in this case, in the letter, the word apostle, It would have been, enough said. Please carry on, sir. Um, Apostles in that day, in that context, and particularly in the way Paul is using it, were an elite group of men who had a couple of qualifications. Um, They had seen Jesus Christ after he had risen from the dead. And during that encounter, Jesus had explicitly given them the authority and the responsibility to represent him in building and growing the church. It was an exclusive group of men, and the Ephesians would have understood that. And so the moment Paul would have said, hey, it's me, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the response on the other end would have gone something like, shh! calling from the apostolic office with a message from God. Everybody. Shh! They would have viewed whatever was coming after this as words carrying the very weight of God's words themselves. And so you better believe their response would have been alright we're listening. Police. Go ahead. And so Paul, as he starts this letter, he he makes this call, so to speak, more than even wanting them to know who he is. He wants them to know who he represents. He wants them to know, listen, I may be dialing these numbers. I may be pinning these words, but I am on assignment representing my superior, my boss, God, bringing a message to you. And let me just say, by the way, for those of us who will be part of this journey through this beautiful book, I trust that that is exactly the way we'll treat this letter. As more than just words that are sublime or whatever other words that we want to use. It's more than just these ideas, more than just a piece of literature. I trust that our hearts will lean in and we will say to everything else, Shh, God is calling. Through this man named Paul, through these words he penned to a church centuries ago that still ring true for us. I pray that as a church we will lean in, listen, and receive whatever it is that Paul has to say to us. So, um, following this phone call format of the letters of that day, Paul introduces himself, and then the next thing he does is he identifies who it is that he's calling to talk to, which is again what we would do if we called someone, hey, this is Kondo, and I'm calling for fill in the blank. That's what Paul does next, and he says in essence, hey, it's Paul here, Um, at the Ephesians' home, Um, Now, we're not sure if Paul is writing this letter to one church or if he's writing it to a series of churches in that Roman province, modern-day Turkey, uh, by the way. But it's most likely that he's writing to a group, a series of churches. But listen, in either case, what we don't want to miss is the stunning way he describes the people he's calling to talk to. He uses staggering language that I think is easy for us to just kind of gloss over and for us to miss and treat these beginning words as they're not as inspired as the rest of the book. Those are just introductory words that we skip over to get to the good part. But even in these introductory comments, Paul uses such beautiful language to describe these folks, and I don't want us to miss what he is saying to them. It would have totally messed with their worlds. Look at the second part of verse 1 again. Hey, it's Paul. Um, I'm calling for um, God's holy people in Ephesus. I'm calling for the faithful in Christ Jesus. Literally, Paul says, I'm calling for the holy saints, I am writing to the faithful ones. Now, the idea of saint uh, carried with it this sense of someone specially selected and set apart by God's choosing for God's using. The word saint... Means God said, "Um, I call dibs on you, and I have a special assignment for you. So I'm going to set you aside for my unique and special purposes." And then He uses this word, "faithful ones." Now that's it's a, a simpler term, um, but it, it's a term that simply means. That someone has put all the weight of their trust, in this case, on the person of Jesus Christ. But they didn't only do it at some point in the past, but they continue to put the weight of their trust on the person of Jesus Christ. Their faith is fully on Jesus. Faithful. So Paul called and he said, hey, it's Paul, um, I am uh, looking for you, um, all um, Ephesians, uh, you Christ-trusters, and you set apart by God ones. I'm calling for a group of people who've been set apart by God himself. So you've got to appreciate. That whoever the dude on the other end of the line on this, you know, proverbial call is, is a tad bit confused by this description. Talking about uh, who again, I'm sorry, are you looking for? See, because there is no one by that name here. Because I could have sworn you said something about you're looking for holy saints and, and something about faith in Christ's trust once. It sounded like you said that. And um, yeah, pretty sure you have the, the wrong number. Because listen, I know me and um, I know all of these people who uh, hang around here and um, see. The thing is, there is nothing saintly or faithly about me or about any of us. So, wrong name, which probably means wrong number. Here's the thing. Appreciate the core apostle and everything. Uh, say hi to the boss, but you might want to tell him. He might want to check his contacts and update them uh, a little bit. Things are being misdialed here. Wait, is, is this Ephesus? Yeah. Okay. And, and this, is, this is a church in Ephesus. Yeah. Um, perfect. Then I'm definitely calling for you. I'm definitely writing to you. I didn't misspeak. I didn't misdial. My boss doesn't make mistakes. His contacts are always current, always correct, always up to date. I'm definitely calling for you. Because according to his contacts, according to his records and I have them right in front of me, you are uh, holy saints. Set apart by God once. His special selection. Oh yeah, I'm calling for you. You home? The terms that Paul uses to describe the believers in Ephesus would have been entirely flooring to them. Are you sure, Apostle Sir? No one has ever called us holy before. Are you positive. This has to be some kind of mistaken identity. And listen, right from the start of this letter, right from the very first verse, the heart of this book comes screaming to the surface in a question. And here's the question. Do I recognize and respond to What God calls me when He calls? Do I recognize and respond to what God calls me when He calls? Because He loves to call, by the way. The question is do I recognize and respond to what He calls when He calls? That's at the heart of this book. Do I believe God could possibly have meant to call me that? Must be some mistake. Do I believe God could have possibly meant to call me period? Is it possible that I am who he says I am? Is it possible that my history is wrong and his record books are right? Is it possible I am exactly who and what? He calls me. Because what he's calling us, what he's calling the Ephesians, it doesn't sound like me. I know me. And I'm just saying, holy Mm -mm. must be a mistake. For centuries, the church has been in a wrestling match with God. Over the matter of its identity. It was true 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. It's true this morning in this room in Winona Lake. God's people have struggled with him over what he calls us. Over our name. And so what's happened is God has been calling. God has been talking to us. God has been inviting us, his church. And many of us have been missing the call or not picking up because we just don't recognize the name he calls us. Because we don't believe he could possibly be speaking about us. And so we get in this wrestling match with God. Are you sure? Are you sure you don't have the wrong number, God? Because no one has ever called me that before. And by the way, let me say it again. And we'll say it many, many more times in this series. What you believe is true about you will color the way you live. It will set the trajectory of where you go and what you do. I I can't possibly be that, though. Must be the wrong number. This would have been so hard for the Ephesian church to grasp and to get a hold of. And so what Paul does in this letter is he spends the first three chapters... Reintroducing the church to itself from God's vantage point. He spends three chapters showing us, hey, listen, hear the record books as they stand in heaven. This is what it, it, it says about you. And so in the first three chapters, all indicatives, meaning Paul doesn't give any commands. He doesn't tell anyone what to do. He just says, here's what's true about you. Can you dig it, though? Do you recognize it? Do you respond to it? I, I-, I love this book. because Paul, in essence, just <laughs> comes out and says... To the church, listen, I don't know what name you responded to before you met Jesus, but now he calls you holy. Uh, has to be a mistake. Are you sure he said pass by? <laughs> has to be a mistake. I'm gonna go ahead and live in the gloom of that couldn't possibly be true. Holy? <laughs> all I've been called for a number of years is divorcee. Are you sure that's not what it says? Because I recognize that name. I respond to that name. Are you sure, Paul? And I can imagine Paul saying, um, well, I don't know about any of that. I don't know about what it may have said before, uh, but um, now all that shows up is Holy. That's what he calls you. Set apart, though, set apart. I've never been chosen for anything. In fact, I am the perpetually unwanted. If I'm called anything, it's reject our response to that. Now, that I recognize. That can cloud my day. I'll live in that reality. But set apart, and Paul's like, listen, I'm sorry for all the confusion that might be going on here, but I'm looking at it right now, and his contacts say, specially selected. That's you, right? Um, yeah, it looks like me, but no one's ever called me special or selected before saint <laughs> you said saint i'm sorry see because I <laughs> last night i did the thing i swore i would never do again i barely made it to church this morning saint i i, I don't i don't think so can't be me i haven't done my devotions in forever must be a mistake it can't be me. I mean, have you seen the colossal failure I am <laughs> as a parent? Surely God could not be talking about me calling me faithful. I'm struggling with same sex attraction. Oh, I know what everybody else calls me, and believe me, it is not Christ Truster. Addict maybe. I recognize that. Cheater, sure. Cutter, yes. Failure, insecure, sinner. I'll answer to those names. I recognize those names. But holy, faithful, let alone all the other names that we are going to find God speaks over us through this book. There is no way. And I want to tell you what you believe is true about yourself will color and cloud your world and it will set the trajectory your life. Does God know me and what I've done? Yeah. But he calls you holy. And we're going to see this throughout this beautiful book. Because God calls the people who've trusted in Jesus holy. Because he chose to set us apart. It's got nothing to do with what we did or what we earned or how we messed up or what we didn't do or how much of good stuff we did. He calls us what he calls us, not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done and because of what we get because we've trusted and we are connected to him. You are what he calls because of Jesus, not because we've earned it. something I trust will become more and more convinced of because so many of us are spending so much of our time measuring our behaviors and being named and renamed based on them. Uh, when my son was born, uh, we couldn't decide what to name him. And uh, so he was like little nameless in wonder Wonderboy, like for the first eight or ten hours of his life. And so people would come and see him and they would ask, what's his name? Well, like, I call him whatever you want. And guy, fella, chap, chief, you know, was Cletus for a little while, dude. I mean, whatever people wanted, they could get away with calling him for a little while. Eventually, we named him Judah. Strong name. I will praise. That's a solid name don't care what you think and you want to know something fascinating um we didn't name him judah based on his behavior because frankly at that point all he had done was slept cried pooped and drank milk like that's just not much material to go on it didn't give us much We didn't name him Judah based on how he felt. We didn't know much about how this kid felt. As far as we're concerned, all he felt was poopy, uh, tired, um, hungry. That was the extent of it. Kid did not start his life in a stellar fashion. But that's how he began. Didn't give us much material to work with. So, we named him what we wanted to name him. The end. We named him what we hoped for our boy, and we landed on Judah. Uh, He's 11 now. He's uh, in sixth grade, um, an impossibly active kid. Loves soccer, loves basketball, um, loves to eat, loves swimming, hates sleeping. Uh, Speaking of soccer, by the way, I feel like it would be very irresponsible for me as a parent not to tell at least one uh, soccer story that casts my son in a very heroic light. So anyway, first game um, of the school season, Uh, my son takes the ball um, towards the goal, and he takes a shot on goal, and a kid who is not a goalie stops the ball with his hand. You can't do that. Um, And so as a result, he gets a penalty kick, and it's him, Judah, versus this goalie. And no joke, places the ball there on that penalty spot. And I mean, I know he's my son, but the beauty and precision with which he put that ball into the bottom left-hand corner was glorious and magnificent. And I'm sorry, by the way, if your son was the goalie, but he straight up got burned. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. <laughs> He puts that ball in, and I'm on the sideline, right? And I'm just like, Judah, good job. I'm beaming with pride because it was really, 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 really awesome. Anyway, two nights ago, um, at the end of the evening, uh, I say to my son, same kid, Judah, hey, I I want you to go um, brush your teeth, get ready for bed, lay down. Um, Mom and I will come up, and we'll tuck you in, and we'll pray with you. Do you understand? Yep. Yep. And off he goes. A few minutes later, because contrary to popular opinion, fathers have intuition too. So <laughs> I'm sitting there like mm-hmm. <laughs> something feels shady here. So I I make my way to his room and he's just sprawled out, just laying on the floor, and he's working on this, I have to admit, pretty cool like Lego airport situation kind of thing i looked at it and i'm like that's really cool but i'm not happy and so i said to him judah hey didn't i say for you to come up and get ready for bed and then lie down in your bed yes yes you did listen if i tell you to do something you need to come up here and you need to do that i was a tad disappointed with his behavior although the airport thing was on point it was pretty awesome <laughs> Um, and so I just wanted to say that's, that's, um, that's the end of uh, my, my story. But it's a pretty good story, I think, um, if I may say so myself. But listen, in review, in case you lost track, um, when my son scored that beautiful penalty kick on your kid, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, this daddy... Beamed with pride. And I said, Judah! Mm, Good job. When my son disregarded my instructions to him in favor of that pretty awesome airport Lego situation. I said, Judah! Mm -mm. Not a good job. Did you see that though? Did you? I mean... In moments of pride and in a moment of disappointment, his name never changed. When he messed up, he was Judah. And when he did great, he was Judah. Because we didn't name him based on his performance. We didn't name him based on how high he could jump, or how well he could place a penalty kick, or how his grades turned up, or how many times he disappointed us. I named him Judah because he's my boy. He's my little Simba. He's my heir apparent. He belongs to me. He's mine. And I think Paul wants to convince the Ephesians and the church today in the same regard. God calls you what he calls you, not because you can jump high enough and not because you can make these awesome kingdom Lego sets. And not because you can put the goal in every time and share the gospel right and get your parenting on point. He calls you what he calls you because you are his based on Jesus Christ. One of the beautiful ways uh, that Christianity is described, it uses this term to be reborn or to be born again. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. And when you are reborn, guess what happens? You are renamed by your Heavenly Father. And he renamed us what he wanted to name us. Based on what he saw when he looked at us. Because of Jesus Christ. Based on what he desired for us. And he gave us a bunch of beautiful, barely believable New names, by the way, which we're going to spend the next number of weeks just exploring and saying, you've got to be kidding me. And what Paul wants to convince us of is that we are now whatever God called us when we were reborn and renamed in Christ. Not because of anything we do or don't do, not because of anything in the past, not because of anything in the present. Because of Jesus and what he has beautifully done for us on the cross. I don't know what's been said about you in the past, but God calls you holy. Guys on the other end of the phone like, okay, um, go on. I don't know how you feel about you, but let me tell you what God says about you. And what you believe about you, by the way, will color everything in your world. I don't know what messes you've made. All I know is that he calls you Simba or whatever else he calls you. We'll see more here in the book as we go along. And so what this book is, is Paul, in essence, telling the church what God calls us, who he says we are, how he Sees us because nothing will transform the way we live more profoundly than being reintroduced to ourselves from God's vantage point. By the way, which is why we called this series What We Did. Because the vantage point from which you look at your life and look at yourself will affect everything. And we're saying, hey, can we look at our lives from the vantage point or through? what he says to us in the book of Ephesians. I don't know how much you believe what he calls you, but that's going to become the question. Do I respond? Do I recognize what he says about me? And by the way, We'll see this. But the way the book of Ephesians is laid out is in two halves. The first half is just the first three chapters that are full of indicatives. Um, And that simply means Paul is just saying, hey, listen, this is who you are. Three chapters of this is who you are because you believe in Jesus Christ. In the first three chapters, no commands. Paul's not telling us what to do. He's just saying, this is true about you. Why? Because the last three chapters are evidence that if you believe who you are, you would do what you need to. And so there's this beautiful description of what God says about. Us. But we're going to uh, bring this to a close. And as we do, let's really quickly look at verse um, 2. Paul um, introduces himself in verse 1. He identifies who he's calling for. And I wonder if the Ephesians are starting to maybe lean in and, and believe a little bit more. Who knows? And then in verse 2. He gives a greeting of sorts, which, again, is how we would carry on a conversation. Hey, this is Kondo, and I'm calling for you, and um, hey, how's it going? Um, And that's what Paul does here. Look at what he says. It's it's pretty cool. Verse 2, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So awesome. See, because where we would typically put a greeting, Paul makes a prayerful proclamation of blessing. I could ask you how you're doing, Uh, yes, but I want to pronounce a blessing on you. And he says, grace and peace to you. By the power vested in me, As an apostle, as a representative of God, I prayerfully pronounce grace and peace on you. May the God I represent drench you in his grace and drown you in his peace. That's what Paul is pronouncing at the beginning of this letter. And you know how, how um, oftentimes our, our greetings can be these polite and highly insincere blurbs that we just don't mean? You know, when we pass by each other, hey, how's it going? Oh, shoot. She actually thought I cared and meant how she was doing. And now she's telling me, oh, Lord. He actually means what he's saying. In fact, when he says grace and peace, he is completely convinced God is going to do exactly what Paul is asking him to do for these Ephesians. He is convinced he is, watch out, he's about to give grace. He's about to give you a little more peace. And grace, uh, by the way, we'll see it emerge again again in this book and he's saying you know that thing that has covered all of your sin I pray God would give you more of it you know the thing that has drowned all of your shame and all of your failures I pray God will pour more of that stuff over you it's just such an outrageous blessing he's pronouncing on them because they have more than enough grace Their sin and their mistakes have been more than covered. But Paul is saying, yeah, I know that's true, but a dose for today, a dose for right now, God, cover over even more so. Pour out your undeserved favor on these people. Grace to you. Oh, and peace, Lord, peace. That thing that convinces the heart that God holds nothing against us. That inner sense that the enmity is gone. That inner conviction that God is smiling at me. I know they made peace with you, but I'm praying that you pour a fresh, Wave of peace over them because it's altogether possible that last night or yesterday or this morning they did something that has them wondering, Is God going to change his mind about me because of what I've done? Give them peace and remind them, You are smiling on them. But I made another mess, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, give them more of your grace to the point that they become convinced. Grace is greater than all of my sin. And the reality they live in is not how they messed up, but the grace that covers it. The reality they live in is not what they could have done wrong to make God change his verdict about them, but they live in the reality God is my friend. He's smiling at me. He's totally thrilled with me because of Jesus Christ. Give them peace, give them grace. And Paul is convinced. He's like, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. Pour out your grace and your peace on them. Such a powerful blessing that Paul is pronouncing. Can you imagine how overwhelming this would have been for the Ephesian church? While they're still trying to get used to the thought that they have been renamed and called holy and set apart. Now this grace... And peace, I can barely take it. And Paul said, we are just getting started. We're just getting started. And I'm sure somebody in Ephesus needed a fresh dose, a fresh wave of grace, a fresh reassurance of peace. And I'm sure somebody here this morning needs it as well. And so even as we close... We want to say, hey, this deluge of grace, this deluge of peace, Paul, that you're pronouncing on the Ephesians. can we kind of sneak up under that and get some of it? And the answer is always, yes, do you want some? Oh, the perks have been connected to Jesus. We haven't even scraped the surface. Grace this morning, peace this morning. The only question is, do you want some? Do you need some? And so for some of you, I'm just so thrilled as we close to say as a representative of the representative of God. Grace to you. I don't know what guilt you dragged in here this morning. I don't know what guilt dragged you in here this morning. Grace over that. I don't know what sorts of failures are still haunting you. Grace over that. I pray a dose of amnesia that causes you to forget because guess what? Whatever sin you committed has been forgotten by God. You might as well join him in his voluntary amnesia, grace over that. And whatever thing you struggle with, whatever thing you've been doing, that's making you wonder, could God possibly keep what he says about me? Is he not going to change his mind? Am I going to get to the end and he's going to say, "Mm mm-mm. Peace over that anxiety. Peace over that uncertainty. Church, the only question is, will you receive it? Grace and peace to you. Mission point. So listen, even as we close, I want you to stand. uh, and We're going to do this really awkward thing and, you know, just awkwardness is fine, but why don't we stand uh, really quickly, and I do, I want you to tell the person next to you, uh, I love how people are like, I'll stand when you finish the instructions, (laughs) because I don't know what you're going to say, so uh, I'm going to wait this one out. Um, Why don't you stand by faith, and uh, (laughs) listen, Uh, simply tell the person next to you, hey, grace and peace to you. Like, tell them out loud. Maybe awkward. Great way to meet people. Tell the person on your other side, grace and peace to you. (laughs) And um, most awkward of all, church, is if you receive it, just say, I receive it. I receive it. I need it. And so, Lord, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for who you say we are because of Jesus. Not because of what we do or don't do. Not because of what we do enough of or don't do enough of. Not because we make every PK for you. But because Jesus has already won the game. And we are connected to him. Do something Holy Spirit that allows us even as we journey into this book to believe what you say about us more than we believe anything else. Color our world with grace. Color our world with your words. Help us, Lord, to believe you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for peace. Thank you that every single person who reaches out in faith and receives this morning can walk out of here convinced sin is covered, guilt is covered, shame is gone. You are smiling. And because of that, we say, Jesus, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.